Welcome to Popcorn Martini Soup, a movie podcast. I'm Jess. And I'm Anna. And we're your hosts, here to hang out. And we always end up talking about movies. Usually over a couple of martinis. Or a warm bowl of soup. And today we're talking about the best and worst of 2021. With the Oscars coming up at the end of the month, um, and a lot of chatter about 2021 movies and what's been going Mm -hmm. on. We really just wanted to look back and see, you know, what we loved, what maybe kind of missed the mark, and what was just, like, not good. I was, again, trying to, like, remember what I even watched during the year of 2021, and I can only think of all the really shitty ones. Um, (laughs) uh, I don't know why. I think, like, shitty ones are really fun sometimes to talk about and shit on, so that's the kind of energy I'm coming into with this episode. Um, (laughs) But there were definitely really good ones. Yeah, when I was looking back, I watched so many more 2021 movies than I thought I had. And there were some really strong movies this year. I feel like I kind of underplay 2021 in my mind, mm-hmm. I guess because mm-hmm. it's so recent and, and honestly, it feels like so much of the year just didn't even happen. I'm excited to talk about it. Me too. Um, this is so random, but I not only love eating soup, mm-hmm. I love seeing soup and like illustrations. I mean, mm-hmm. I say soup, but like we're talking about food, right? And like yeah. illustrations, movies, Um, I love it when I just like come across like Instagram accounts where it's completely dedicated to like foods and Mm -hmm. film. But there's this artist that actually um, one of our previous co-workers um, recommended to me as I was talking about my love for like farm animals, which is another (laughs) weird fact about (laughs) me, I guess. But like, yeah, um, they were like you know what, you need to check out this artist and this, I just wanted to give a quick shout out, not that she needs our shout out, <laughs> I'm sure, but I just like, it makes me super cozy. Her name's Jean, Jean Wei, J-E-A-N-W-E-I, Taiwanese American illustrator and cartoonist. And uh, I recently, I think this was from actually last year, 2021, end of 2021, she, uh, did a post a book of healing potions and it's 11 recipes for nice soups to share with friends so i just wanted to quickly mention that because there's just like sweet potato and corn chowder classic onion soup lotus root pork rib soup Mm. gene way best of 2021 cozy content yeah 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 (laughs) go gene huge fan um all right (laughs) should we get anyway yeah let's get into it So let's start with our our best of 2021, the 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 good ones, and then start on a we'll good go. Note. Yeah, yeah, you know, let's, let's start let's start positive, and then we'll go downhill from there. <laughs> Do you want to <laughs> start? That sounds great. Sure. Like I said, there were a lot of really good movies in 2021. It was really hard to narrow it down. But for my two best of the year, I really wanted to focus on big surprise women's stories. The first one I want to talk about is actually has a local connection. Emma Seligman is from Toronto. She is the director. Uh, This is her first full length feature based on a short that she made. Mm, And it is Shiva Baby. It's really cool to see like a Toronto director at the beginning of her career already do some really interesting filmmaking yeah just killing I, it yeah i was yeah. so impressed um that this is her debut feature and she already seems to have such a mastery over like tone and setting and mm. and creating this atmosphere that you just exist in for the mm. whole film you haven't seen shiva baby yet right no <laughs> that's okay i feel like this is one that Actually, I feel like both of my picks are ones that you want to watch when you're in a good, pretty stable place. Um, okay. Don't watch these when you're, you know, a little bit vulnerable or, or feeling a little bit off. Um, yeah. The whole premise is basically this uh, young woman, a college student who's played by Rachel Senat, who is great, is going to a shiva. And she it's like a very claustrophobic space for her Mm -hmm. she's surrounded by her community and by her family but also at this shiva she gets an unpleasant surprise um in that her sugar daddy is there with his wife and their new baby and also her ex-girlfriend is there so it's like a chaotic bisexual mess Uh. 
Yeah. But it's so good. And I feel like there's a lot of different dynamics at play, obviously, between her and her sugar daddy as they're like trying to navigate each other in this room full of the entire Jewish community that they know and nobody knows that they have this relationship. The ex-girlfriend is played by Molly Gordon, who was in Booksmart, who I absolutely adore. Mm -hmm, And then mm -hmm. obviously the family dynamic, her her whole family is at the Shiva and so they're very present too. I love the tension it creates. I, I love sitting in that like super uncomfortable space with her because it's just done so well it's like through the sound design and the the overlapping voices and a crying baby and um just people packed into this house it feels so tense and i'm so impressed that emma as a debut filmmaker pulled all this off do you think that this falls under my favorite cinematic universe (laughs) i'm a girl and i'm insane yes i feel like it's maybe i'm a girl and i'm insane adjacent because i feel like danielle the main character is a little bit unhinged but in the way that like a lot of college girls who are figuring their shit out are kind of unhinged right um not quite in that extra step towards like truly off the wall that we usually see in that in that universe but i think that the feeling that the film creates is very much in that space i'm so into that see this is why i uh... yeah i need to watch it (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's really great and i also i mean we're gonna talk about um later in the podcast a couple episodes from now we're going to talk about our queer faves and I just loved in this one particularly how normalized and easy bisexuality Mm -hmm. is like it's not a thing it's not like you have to define it it's just like this is who she is and this is how she lives and um I really really enjoyed that kind of representation because it can be easy and clear and like just what you feel but also like kind of messy yeah I really loved it. Yeah. Okay, so my next pick actually is part of my favorite um, cinematic universe, which is the I'm a girl and I'm insane cinematic universe. Um, And it's Titan. You know, thinking about like the two picks that I'm going to talk about, like they're both very much leaning into the experience of mm. of movie watching um, for me. I, I really like the movie as well. I mean, I am... Uh, the opposite of body horror lover like it, mm-hmm. that was one of the things that really like it fucks me up um it's not fun to watch for me Same. at all but you know when when neon comes out with a horror movie i gotta watch it you're um, on board yeah yeah you know i'm subscribed to that uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um you and i went to see it at midnight madness at tiff um last year at the we festival sure it was so much fun. Holy shit. Midnight Madness is specifically for you to have a good time. The audience is there to have a good time. It really isn't about like the celebrities or like the flashy, you know, all the other fun stuff that happens at TIFF for sure. But like the fact that we got to see this movie in that setting, I feel very, very lucky about. And it added, you know, to the experience and the memory that I'm forever going to have for this for this film yeah absolutely that was my first midnight madness experience at tiff and Mm. it was the perfect way to experience it yeah the noises that the audiences were making like the the gasps and the cheers and the like sounds of shock when things happened i remember like a full body cringe that everybody in the audience seemed to do at a particular moment in the movie yeah there's nothing like sharing that experience with a room full of people who are on the exact same page as you and just want to get that out of the film yeah if any of the listeners i will say um are just not a fan of horror kind of interested because they hear from like podcasts or like you know other friends whatever that this horror movie like you gotta watch it and they keep telling you that i feel like midnight madness is actually a perfect place to like kind of Mm. dip your toes in you can do that at home absolutely but like that is a place where like it's a safe space of people that being absolutely scared freaked out grossed out all of the above but also people that are like phonetics for horror and like just gory shit and so like i just feel like it's a really you know it's a comfortable space to be in when you're watching the most uncomfortable movie ever yes that's a great Um, way to describe it so for anyone who has no idea what this movie 
movies about. I, I can, I, I, I'm not even going to try to do a synopsis other than that the clickbaity stuff that's been said about this movie is true. Yes, there's a woman that has sex with a car and mm-hmm. she gets pregnant. Surprisingly, the sex scene with the car wasn't the weirdest thing about the movie. I thought no. that that was going to be the peak. That was going to be, you know... It just gets more insane from there. Yeah, that's the that's just the beginning. One of the things is the person like the girl's journey in getting pregnant and 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 her body just oh gosh I yeah it's a lot (laughs) I think the way that it explores your body during pregnancy at the same time that it's exploring gender identity and gender performance yes is so interesting yeah um this is the most tender body horror movie I have ever seen Mm. that also is so warm about found family and and the fact that Julia was able to pull those things off in one cohesive piece yeah is amazing amazing yeah I was so confused I was like why am I almost like why am I tearing up like why am I so deeply invested in these people amongst like all this you know body horror scenes that you have to yeah it's the dichotomy between body horror to an extreme where you're just sweating through the whole movie Mm -hmm. and then you're also just so in love with the relationship of this main character and this father figure yep and it's like what the fuck is going on with my emotions and my body it feels like whiplash yeah. in a good way. Yeah, yeah. That that whole experience, I mean, I, I'm going to talk a lot more about just how much I love being uncomfortable in movies um, in the <laughs> next episode, as, as sadistic as that sounds. Like, I, I'm really, I mean, in this past couple of years, been really interested in the way horror movie has used that, like, horror tool to, like, tell mm-hmm. something that is actually, like, heartwarming and so deeply connected in the human experience as well so um yeah this was awesome and just being able to like experience that with you like it was the best time I had a really really great time we walked out of that theater simultaneously in shock and awe at what just happened yeah and also so amped from being in that space and having that experience yeah I feel like we just like rode adrenaline the entire way home from that totally yeah I was exhausted yeah (laughs) it's like just crash from that um (laughs) yeah when I got home yeah it was so fun I loved it me too the next one that I want to talk about is one that I saw not too long ago actually um kind of rounding out my year of 2021 films I was warned I will put that out there I was warned by a lot of my movie friends that this one was going to have an impact on me, that I would probably find it pretty relatable. Uh, My friend Joey actually saw it before I did, and then he said, Jess, you're going to love it. She is you. Which was a little bit horrifying, because the she in this context is the main character of the movie, the worst person in the world. (laughs) All my love to Joey. He was right. Um, I found her extremely relatable had a little bit of a crisis after watching this movie but like in a good way yeah that's possible yeah so the worst person in the world is the new movie from director joaquin trier or trier it is the third and final movie in his oslo trilogy which you don't need to see all of them they're not connected in the sense of um, a continuous storyline Uh, But they are sort of an ode to the city of Oslo. Mm. This one has gotten a lot of attention, a lot of awards buzz, as it should. The lead actress, her name is Renata, and she is so captivating. You Mm. cannot keep your eyes off of her when she's on screen. And then the lead actor, Anders, is also getting a lot of attention because he is remarkable in this movie. Um, It's a very impressive cast. And they pull off an incredibly deep... And also kind of, I think, if you're in this position yourself, unsettling portrayal of what it means to be particularly a young woman who is sort of trying things out and not really ever feeling comfortable or settled or like she's on the right path or or going in the right direction in Mm -hmm. her life. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of things that just aren't quite clicking right a lot of things that like on the surface seem good but don't actually feel like they should or like she thinks they should yeah um she feels very unmoored in this movie 
I'm not in the exact same space as she is. Um, I have some things figured out and I have some things certainly not figured out. Mm -hmm. But I think that feeling of, okay, I think I know what I want and I think I'm kind of on my way, but maybe I'm not. And Mm -hmm. like, what is not working and what is missing and how do I try to fix it? And like, do I just like get up and do something spontaneous? Like that whole sort of messy approach to life in your 20s and early 30s feels so well distilled in this movie. Yeah. Um, and is is really relatable. There's there's an iconic scene from the movie that is in like all of the promos and that everybody has seen, which is like the main character Julie running down the street. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's like a perfect encapsulation of like the sort of feeling of anticipation. Yeah, you want to know like of all that. What, yeah. What's happening? Where's she going? Yeah, what's she yeah. running to? And the payoff of that scene, I will say, is so good. It was an excellent choice because you when you watch it and you see that scene, you're like oh yes (laughs) um it's told in what is it 12 acts and an epilogue yeah Yeah. so it's sort of distinctly split out into different portions yeah and i think that really helps it move you really feel like you're moving through it yeah this reminds me of so i i haven't seen it which makes me the worst person in the world um because (laughs) i've been again this is another one that i've really had on top of my list as well and i haven't had the chance to see it yet but everyone's been telling me about it everyone's been talking about it and our dear friend norm he was talking about just like the attention span that he has when watching movies Mm. and the the 12 act um structure he was like very he was saying how how appreciative he was and knowing that we're chugging along and um I don't know I'm moving towards something yeah yeah exactly yeah I'm paraphrasing but um yeah but that whole structure intrigues me too and uh I think and the structure worked so well for this because you're not following a very specifically um delineated timeline in terms of like a certain amount of the movie is a certain amount of time in her life you do kind of jump jump around and you're showing some parts in a lot more detail and spending a lot more time on them and then other parts move much more quickly yeah and so i think the 12 act structure really helps to sort of solidify those pieces in time as this is a contained moment Mm -hmm. and then you can move to a different contained moment without feeling like you're jarred by the change in time or like where you are in Julie's life. I right. think it, it's, it was a really smart storytelling decision. Yeah. I I just adored this one. Yeah. Okay, what is the other best of the year on your list? So this one is... Um... <laughs> <laughs> what an intro. <laughs> I'll just... <laughs> Maybe that's our third sound. No, that's creepy. <laughs> that... <laughs> <laughs> That's so creepy. Oh no. Um redacted. Um it is <laughs> it's Lynn M- Manuel Miranda's um directorial debut. Mm-hmm. Uh Tick Tick Boom. Starring the one and only Andrew Garfield, who is going to come up a lot on this podcast. Yeah, a lot, a lot. And I'm just gonna keep drooling and making that sound. <laughs> no, huge fan. No. Huge fan. You? <laughs> Dude, some this voice like came into my head and was just like, what if Andrew Garfield hears this for in the future? You never know. And he just hears that I'm just like a slobby person. <laughs> I don't think I'm you not, come across okay? as a slobby person. Yeah, no. Well, okay, thanks. Um <laughs> No, can I'm just trying to reel it back a little bit <laughs> to actually talk about how amazing he is and he's incredible in this movie actually. He truly um, is. My mom raised me with the movies we talked about in our first episode but also with like musical theater Mm. um you know all-time classics like changed everyone everyone's lives i mean lin-manuel talks about that as well that how this musical changed his life too but that's rent for me as well it just has like such a special place in my heart um for so many different reasons but just like musically the kind of people that are represented in the musical as Mm -hmm. well and as someone who grew up in japan and honestly the kind of place where so many of us are just told to be the same and Mm -hmm. live as 
unified looking and acting and sounding as possible. But to see something so different um, and sound so different as well, that's not Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and just like a rock musical like that. And mm-hmm. uh, it was just, it was so, so cool. And so obviously, as soon as I heard Tick, Tick, Boom by Jonathan Larson, his, you know, the the piece that he made prior to the birth of rent that everyone mm-hmm. knows about yeah um and the fact that like andrew garfield are you fucking kidding me like is <laughs> i just i physically mentally could not handle the two worlds the two mm-hmm. you know things that i'm just so in love obsessed with but like admire and respect so much as well come together this movie was even... tailor-made for you. Yeah. One of the things that... So, speaking of um, the ways that people relate to this movie and the things that pull people in, that Jonathan Larson in this is about to turn 30. That is, like, a central theme to the whole movie. And the pressure and the anxiety and the sense of, I'm about to turn 30 and what have I done? What have I accomplished? What does my art mean? And I think that there's something, you know, for people who are on the verge of 30, for artists, for people who um, create as a means of self-expression and of putting something of themselves into the world Mm -hmm. that is so well encapsulated in this and in the way that Jonathan Larson feels that that pressure and that anxiety around, like, what he has created to be this, like, mental milestone of the age of 30 yeah andrew garfield was talking about this in one of the interviews with um sag and the you know about like the talking to like directly to the sag members Mm because like they're the ones that really get it that like yeah you know just how like passionate he is and talking about it every single time and he always talks about how this is a love letter to artists Mm -hmm. and it's so so true and like rent is was and is and will always be a love letter in that sense too but like to actually get a behind the scenes to how it got there in this way is so beautiful and like particularly like the musical theater community they're so so passionate and in love with you know that medium and I feel like you know this is this is just a a big huge hug from Jonathan Larson to to them the first time we watched this was at your place the way it pulled moments from rent as well and like Mm. all the callbacks to like the cameos where like every other minute one of us was yelling oh my god that's so and so yeah that too like the way lynn kind of like just weave that in throughout the the movie was just so fun and like all the easter eggs and i really loved the way that they brought in bradley whitford as stephen sondheim in this And especially because we lost Sondheim last year, Mm -hmm. it felt like such a special tribute to him as well. He was so inclusive and so ready to bring in the next generation. And I just really, really loved that that small moment with him, those like pieces of recognition for him in this. I thought it was really beautiful. And him on the, the voicemail. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. Rent and now including Tick, Tick, Boom, whenever I talk about it, whenever I reminisce about it, whenever we start, like, singing a song from Rent or Tick, Tick, Boom <laughs> or whatever, it's just, it feel, fills my heart with so much love. Oh. I just love that about this movie. It's yeah, so beautiful. Well, that covers the best of the year, or at least our top two picks each. Um, yeah. We can talk a little bit more about honorable mentions, other things we loved later on. But I think it's time to get into the things that didn't quite hit the same yeah. way. The things that um, maybe could have been a, yeah, a, a lot better. <laughs> yeah, let's just talk shit about these things because I am ready. Here I am trying to be sensitive and not call them the worst movies of the no. year. And you're like, the worst movies the of worst. the year. <laughs> let's be clear. It was bad. <laughs> I mean, okay, um. so if we're going to talk about bad, I've got one. To nobody's surprise, like, people should have expected this. Um, the current frontrunner for the fan choice Oscar, because they decided to do a fan choice Oscar on Twitter, 
which obviously you're going to get trolled. Have you ever been on the internet before? Come on. And that movie is Cinderella with Camilla Cabello. God bless everyone who was involved in the making of this movie. I really feel like I was watching the movie, watching for Idina Menzel to like make a get me out of here face because I have no idea what she was doing. That that yeah. woman can do so much better. And she yeah. ended up in this monstrosity. Yeah, she goes, in the credits, why don't we change my name to Adele Dezim? Because that's <laughs> I don't need I to am. be associated with this. No, no. <laughs> my alter ego, Adele Dezim, decided to show up for this shitty ass movie is what happened. <laughs> I just, okay, so if you don't know, 2021's Cinderella is a jukebox musical version of Cinderella. I don't even have the right word to describe the train wreck that is this movie. There is a scene where it's a group of men and a group of women singing and the group of men start the song they start by singing seven nation army (laughs) and then the group of women come in and turn it into a mashup with what a man (laughs) and it is when the people i was watching it with the three of us were sitting there almost with our hands over our eyes like what what is happening and this was not like fun this was not a fun bad (laughs) i think there were there were moments where it was fun bad Mm -hmm. but when the like bad bad outweighs the fun bad yeah in a movie that is kind of going for campy and silly yeah that should be so much more fun bad than it was it was just bad we we both watched fear street that we was did. last year, right? That that was last year. Yeah, and not to put us on a TV show rail, but like that was one that was like bad, but like in the best way possible. Like I had a blast watching it. It was so funny. I mean, the first one was that. So I, I just wanted to kind of like compare it with something where it's like something super campy. It totally leans in and like you're having the best time with your friends 100%. versus like, okay, this is bad. We get it. It was kind of cute for a second. Let's move on because it's getting really bad <laughs> exactly yeah yeah you yeah. you have this element of like you can lean into camp and still make an entertaining story and then you can lean into camp and it just be embarrassing yeah i was looking it up on rotten tomatoes it's 42 percent how i'm not sure i'm sorry to all the critics on rotten tomatoes but what who is giving them 42 i don't understand i'm stunned <laughs> <Your> <laughs> No, no comment. Just yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty high. Like, cause considering yeah, what it is, yeah. Like I, so I haven't seen it, but like I've heard enough from you, and I'm like, no, I'm not wasting my time on this thing. Yeah, forty three percent is like actually not that bad. I feel like people are probably giving it credit for not being boring, like for for kind of playing into that sort of campy ridiculousness. Yeah, there are ways to play into that camp without like sucking the soul and the enjoyment out of the thing that you're making yeah i think roger ebert always said like the way to judge a movie is did it accomplish the thing it set out to do Mm. right i think this version of cinderella was meant to be kind of fun kind of silly but like ultimately entertaining and a good time Mm -hmm. and it wasn't that the costuming is not good. The choreography is not good. The arrangements are not good. The singing is not even good. And you got a singer to be your main character. Like train wreck. A disappointment all around. Coming out hard. It's a zero. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to Idina Menzel and everybody involved in this. They should have known better. Idina and Billy Porter both should have known better. Yeah. What are you two doing here? Yeah. Yeah. Hope they got paid decently though. It was Amazon Studios, so yeah. the only interaction I've had with this movie is when we actually got an Amazon package. Jamie got an Amazon package um, when he ordered something, and the package was fully decked out, branded no. Cinderella. Oh, and I was no. like, I was like, what the hell did you order? Like, it, it kind of looked like toilet paper brand, like because it was like kind of purpley. <laughs> And like, I, I don't even know, but I was just like, what the hell are you ordering? And he was like, I have no idea. Like what? And yeah, we took a closer look. It was Cinderella just all on the side of the cardboard. That's how they had to market this movie. They had to shove it down the throats of all of their Amazon customers. Yeah. And like, what do you target the proper people? Like if Amazon is sending you- um, targeted marketing for Cinderella to Jamie, they yeah. don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so that was that was that was a bad that was a zero. That's Cinderella for you, I yeah. guess. This is where we are in like the canon of Cinderella. We have reached 
the bottom. Yeah. There was a there was a lot of shit um last year. <laughs> and <laughs> Sorry. I feel like you and I had very different movie years because I had a lot of really good stuff and you're like, everything was shit. <laughs> I I watch all this like all these really bad movies I guess like Why? what does that say about me I don't know because I don't know I have bad taste um, <laughs> I don't believe that for the record <laughs> um, but one of the movies that I went to see that I was you know I I did not have any expectations into this but I went to see House of Gucci mm. um, I know that it's got it's got nominations in the Oscars, right? It's like, okay, so it has makeup and hairstyling, sure. Oh, that's it. Oh, is it only the one? Yeah. Mm, interesting. Okay, great. All right. Well, that's a moment where I was I was going to rip it apart if it was <laughs> anything else. Okay, sure. Yeah, fine. Whatever. Jared Leto did not look like him. Sure. Kudos to them for that. But that was literally the only thing that was good about this movie. This movie, oh, no. first of all, way too long. So long. Not even halfway. You're just waiting for the movie to be done and you're like distracted with other things you know that it's a bad movie already at that point Mm -hmm. ridley scott sir stay in your lane of (laughs) making sci-fi whatever all that stuff okay like making movies about like family drama and like what why i I, no you don't think this is his space no no get out of (laughs) here Did you see um, the other movie he put out in 2021, The Last Duel? No, I did. I've heard good things about that, though. I've heard, I mean, better things about that than um, House of Gucci, certainly. Yeah, that's the one with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and Jodie Comer. Yeah, I wasn't drawn because of the cast. Yes. <laughs> ben Affleck <laughs> and Matt Damon are not really the draw for us that no, they might not... be for other people. Yeah, yeah, not not for me. Um, Ridley Scott, his stuff, I mean, sure, I, I actually really like The Martian, so I don't know, whatever. Mm, I go yes. all over the place, but they should have given up on the accent. They just, they oh, just, boy. I don't know what it is, because what, it's a, it's, it's a pretty, you know, stacked cast. Like, yeah. if they're doing poorly in their accent, someone tell them. Someone just be like... <laughs> The director needs to be present to intervene when the actors are going too far down a path that they should not be down. Ridley, where were you? This is not the time and place to walk <laughs> away from shitty accents. Like, it was so bad. And, and, like, it's bad because, like, you're distracted constantly. Right. One of the um, most common pieces of feedback that I heard about this movie is that all of the actors seem to think that they are in a different movie from each other. Did you find that when you were watching it? Yeah, like none of them made sense together. They're like so, so in love with whatever the hell they're doing (laughs) on their, like, on an individual basis. I'm like, hello, are you talking to each other? Like, they're not worried about making a cohesive piece. Yeah, like, I didn't even, I didn't even get, I didn't even think about that because it was just like, I was so out of it. Like, I was so tuned (laughs) out to even kind of absorb those pieces too. But yeah, no, that's totally right that it was not cohesive whatsoever one of the things that i actually was seeing like all over the place before i watched the movie was that there is this incredible sex scene between gaga and adam driver did you hear about oh, this oh no i was imagining it to be like super steamy like really like adam driver and gaga just like incredible going chemistry like yeah. yeah just going at it and um they're going at it but uh so i want to show you this this thing that i saw on instagram recently (laughs) okay i'm gonna show it to you and play it for you (laughs) oh my god (laughs) did that really happen (laughs) (laughs) that happened (laughs) um (laughs) Oh my god. <laughs> it's a lot of screaming and <laughs> it's, it's so bad. Anyway, so I wanted to bring that up as well. That's the kind of I mean, no, that's not the kind of energy. Like that if it was that kind of energy, honestly, it would have been fun. You can see the potential. Yeah. But yeah, when when you got a 3-hour movie and you only see glimpses of yeah. what somebody could be doing, that you can't sit through that whole thing and and try to pull out these tiny moments and be like there you go great movie yeah and that's too bad because of all the movies to be boring like this one really positioned itself as campy Mm -hmm. like 
high camp, so fun, so ridiculous, and, like, over the top, but in in an intentional way. Yeah. And for it to come out and just be boring is probably the worst thing that it could have been. Yeah. Anyway, it was oh. boring. That's all I have to say about it. My second one that I am pulling out for worst of the year. Worst of the year is maybe a little bit harsh. I want to give this movie a little bit of credit, but not not very much. Just like a touch of credit. So my pick is Being the Ricardos, uh, which mm-hmm. is an Aaron Sorkin production. And correct me if you think I'm wrong. I feel like Aaron Sorkin has a reputation for being a very good writer, but mm. n- not a super great director Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that is warranted for the most part I think that his direction in this movie was not great but also he wrote this movie and I feel like there were a lot of ways in which the writing should have been better too yeah so I feel like unfortunately Aaron Sorkin this is a miss maybe take some time and just like focus on writing a really good script instead of trying to do it all I think my biggest problem with being the Ricardos is how unfocused it was. Mm -hmm. If you want to tell the story of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, there is so much to them as people. They accomplished so much. Their lives were complicated and interesting. And um, they did a lot that was really groundbreaking for the time Mm -hmm. in Hollywood. And um, I'm going to shout out another podcast. I listened to the Turner Classic Movies It is called The Plot Thickens, and for their most recent season, they did a deep dive on Lucille Ball and her Mm -hmm. life and all of the things that she did um, through, you know, research and interviews with people who knew her and archival footage, and it was fascinating. Mm. I highly recommend it if you're interested in the story of Lucy and Desi, Mm -hmm. because it just gives you so much more than this movie did, and I feel like Aaron tried to pull in so many of those threads He tried to pull in, you know, I love Lucy. Where is I love Lucy going? How does their marriage impact that? And how does the work impact their marriage? And what is their business relationship like? And Lucille's pregnancy? And how are they going to bring that in? And then the central conflict is supposed to be um, when Lucille Ball was accused of being a communist. And it's like, that is so many things to try to put into one cohesive plot while also developing these two central characters as well as a few side characters that you're supposed mm-hmm. to be interested in and care about. I mean, this is up for th- three different acting awards mm-hmm. at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, Nicole Kidman for Lucille Ball for leading actress. Javier Bardem for playing Desi for leading actor and J.K. Simmons for playing one of their co-stars, William Frawley, one of their co-stars on I Love Lucy for supporting actor. Like, fine, I guess. I feel like there was enough competition this year that none of them should win and none of them really should have been nominated. I know that there are going to be people who disagree with me on that and that's totally fair. (laughs) Yeah. But I was so underwhelmed. I have a lot of feelings against the Oscars in general. Oh, um, yeah. Right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> been yeah. thinking about, like, a lot of these nominations, and Jamie was telling me about this, actually, but Leo, Leo DiCaprio, mm-hmm. um, his next seven roles are going to be biopics. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's exhausting. It's just so baity. It's just formulaic, you know? Not to shit on J.K. Simmons, because I think J.K. Simmons is a great actor. Yeah. But this was not a large role. And I think that mm. that comes from that kind of space as well, where it, it feels very biopic-focused, as you yeah. said. A little bit, like, self-congratulatory. They have specific people that they're like, these are our people, and mm. we have to pay attention to them every time. Yeah. No matter if there were maybe, like, better performances that should have yeah. been recognized instead. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be disillusioned with when Mm -hmm. it comes to the Oscars. Not to say that there aren't any good biopics, because I really think that there are. But the fact that that is really where the nominations come from, and those are what are so focused on as part of the Oscar conversation, leaves out a huge swath of fantastic movies Mm -hmm. that just then, like, don't get the recognition. Yeah. I will say, um, while we're on the topic, I am very happy for both... Javier Bardem and Penelope Cruz, and for um, Kristen Dunst and Jesse Plemons, I think that their his and hers Oscar noms yeah. are adorable. <laughs> that's so cute. That's so true. I think yeah, that's really I sweet. Love that. And yeah. um, if nothing else, I'm happy for them for that. Even yeah. though um, none of them, maybe Kristen Dunst, maybe she is my pick for a supporting actress. But otherwise, mm-hmm. um, those are not my first picks. Mm-hmm. Although. 
to be fair, I haven't seen Parallel Mothers, and I want to. Penelope Cruz, I have heard, is fantastic in that mm-hmm, role. Mm-hmm, yeah. So all that to say, like, I'm not going to put being the Ricardos in, like, a don't watch this, it was trash kind yeah, of category. Yeah. I think there's a lot more nuance to it than that. Mm-hmm. But I think that um, given the other kind of content that's out there about Lucille and Desi, the potential that this project had, and then how um, unfocused and disappointing it ended up being. Mm. I think this is more like, this is a a significant kind of letdown of 2021. Like it could have been so much better. Right. And it really just isn't. Yeah. Okay, so the other worst that I chose, I had a best for Andrew and I have a worst for Andrew. And that was uh, Mainstream by Gia Coppola. You know, this, this, have you seen this? I haven't seen this, but I know that, like, I know enough about it to know that in theory, it has everything going for it for you as an audience member. It's kind of similar to how I felt with um, Don't Look Up, Mm. but another literally the worst movie ever. That is also, (laughs) did I say ever? um, Oscar nominated this year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it felt like, you know what I don't like is when I feel like an older generation is making a social commentary on social media and like influencers Mm. and it doesn't land well. It's like, okay. Like you don't actually really understand what you're talking about because it's not for you. Yeah. Well, I just feel like, um, being in the generation where, you know, we, we experienced Facebook coming out, right? Like prior to it was like MySpace and like. AOL, I, you know. MSN Messenger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And what mainstream does, and also what, like, Don't Look Up does to me, and I know a lot of people are going to argue with me about this when it comes to Don't Look Up, so I'm going to steer away from that. But <laughs> with mainstream, at least, I've seen it all. I've seen, mm. I've seen this commentary done so many times, and I'm just like, tell me something new. Tell me something other than making a point about influencers and rich and like privileged and Mm -hmm. the LA life, the LA culture, making fun of that, poking fun of that. The whole thing was just really, really cringy. So there's a scene where like Andrew Garfield like puts on a prosthetic penis, but like he's flashing the streets of LA. Right. Okay. Like... He, he plays like this like YouTube star, the social media phenomenon. Mm-hmm. But not only that, he did that, like they decided to actually do that, like in the streets of LA without telling people. I think it was one of those like, like he's just, he just goes out and does it. Um, oh. So I'm oh, just like, okay. what, what are you trying, like that in itself, like, do you know what I mean? Like, what, what, are, you, what are you trying to achieve? Like, are you mm-hmm. a high school student trying to do like an arts project, making a commentary about like, pop culture and like going out there doing a flash mob and (laughs) like that's the energy that I get from that you know yeah you never saw assassination nation right I did see assassination nation you did I did okay so I won't get into that now but that was actually another one where I saw it at midnight madness and it was like the best time ever in that too like you know there's like pop-ups of like the girls texting each other and Mm -hmm. like you can see speech bubbles and whatever so this movie as well like has emojis flying around when there's emojis flying around and you're making a a social media commentary (laughs) like just like again high school high school project you know, yeah. can I actually so it's really interesting because mm. I want to shout out um, a different movie, The mm. Mitchells versus the Machines, which came mm-hmm. out in 2021, yeah. which did that. But within the context of an animated movie yep. that is intended to be literally a high school project. This girl yeah. is graduating from high school and going to film school and she is documenting her family's vacation as a video project Mm -hmm. and I think that like that's a great example of the dichotomy between what Gia was maybe trying to accomplish and what the team behind the Mitchells and the Machines actually pulled off yeah and that the way that they framed it was literally within that within a high school student's art project and she is using the tools of her youth of like the time that she is growing up in to accentuate and to make this project have personality and it like fuses itself with the movie because you are viewing the movie through her lens yeah and i think it worked so well there but you can see how that absolutely doesn't translate to a like social media commentary like i'm 
taking myself seriously, but also trying to be super artsy kind of movie. Yeah. And the fact that it came from Gia Coppola too, like that as well rubbed me the wrong way. The other thing I wanted to say was Under the Silver Lake was for a very long time, like on my all time list as well. And um, this actually has a lot of overlapping themes. Um, to Under the Silver Lake. Okay. Under the Silver Lake also like explores nothing to do with really social media, but just like that LA culture and that mm. culty, like really, you know, weird LA energy. And that I really, really love. Super weird, polarizing opinions, mostly negative reviews, but for me, it was very captivating and mm. I loved it because it really, really leaned into the noir, old Hollywood references. It was super entertaining to watch, but I'll just say to wrap this up, glittery, like super cocky, literally penis flashing Andrew Garfield <laughs> acting like Jake Paul, who oh, also God. appears in the movie. No. If you could, like, that's how spoon feedy in your face it is. They yeah. actually called in Jake Paul to be a part of this movie. No, I, I, I love you, Andrew, but like this was, this was this not it. it. No. <laughs> End of rant. (laughs) Before we wrap this up, I do want to go through a couple call outs. um, The (laughs) other worsts that I watched. um, Oh boy. Which very, very quickly, Space Jam. Um, it had 25% on Rotten Tomatoes. No surprise there. I, I actually grew up with the... Um, with the original Space Jam. Yeah, 96 I have such version. fond feelings for that movie. Yeah, same. But yeah, LeBron just decided to feed me like family cozy stuff. And like, I'm just like, where's the chaos? Where's the camp? That Looney Tunes, mm. like that creepy tone that you got from the 96 version. <laughs> like, yeah, no, bye. Um, second one I want to bring up, Dear Evan Hansen. Uh, love the movie, but I mean, not, whoa, whoa, what happened? I, I <laughs> Do you? <laughs> yeah, no, hey, no. Love the music is what I wanted to say. Mm, yeah. um, 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. Just Oof. the music, it was my Spotify top songs from 2021 was Ooh. from Dear Evan Hansen, the musical. So like, I am pretty obsessed with the song. I listen to it during work all the time. <laughs> absolutely no to the movie that's that's all I, I'll say nearly all of the feedback about Dear Evan Hansen has been not good yeah. very not good I was going to see it I was excited to see it and then everybody started saying how bad it was and I still have not seen it there's no need you don't have to there's no just need. listen to the music the music is great <laughs> Ben Platt has a beautiful voice um, mm-hmm. and then the other thing that I already mentioned briefly but don't look up um, mm, 56% yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes I guess like there's people that absolutely love it but again like watching boomers trying to make a meme like using big name celebrities while trying to make a point about like climate change and like everything that basically happened in the pandemic all in mm. one go and emojis flying across the screen again oh boy people stop doing that um, yeah that's not you a actually... thing that we need to take forward no no just keep it into like horror movies and campy stuff like that <laughs> like assassination nation um, this is a really interesting one because um, friends who don't really watch a lot of movies the kind of people who will watch like the two biggest things on Netflix in a year and maybe a Marvel movie and that's about it right those kinds of people love don't look up it's the casual moviegoer. It's the person who wants to know what's going on in pop culture at like the very top level and nothing really underneath it. The person who would not sit through a three hour Japanese movie, even if it's as good as Drive My Car. Like, you know, the people who come at movies very casually. Yeah. And I like I don't want to um, create any sort of like false correlation there. I don't want to assume that People who don't watch a lot of movies are not consuming culture or news in other ways. Like, there's no easy way to create an archetype of person from that. For sure, for sure. Not really working so much for us. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's wrap this up. That was fun. Talking (laughs) about movies. (laughs) 
Um, I had a, I had a lot to say. I'm definitely like my body's hot. You got worked up. But we don't want to end it on that note. We want to end it on a fun note. Um, we have a couple special shout outs to like other really great movies that we watched last year. So I pulled together a list of a few of my other sort of honorable mentions for movies that I loved from last year. Those include The Power of the Dog, The Green Knight, The Lost Daughter, Coda, Drive My Car, Red Rocket, and Limbo. But I also wanted to add Flea to this to this mm. list as well, which was another one that um, I recommend. I think you and I both have some standout miniseries. Oh yeah, forgot about that. Yeah, I earlier this year I watched It's a Sin and it's devastating. I spent the entire last episode sitting on my couch sobbing. Same. Yeah, that was a really, really good one. Standout for me in terms of the series from last year was uh, Scenes from a Marriage. Yes. (laughs) What's up with us picking like the saddest series? Oh my god. (laughs) We like to feel things. Do you have any strong feelings, predictions, people you want to win? What stands out for you this year? Flea is nominated for animated feature film. I mean, there's Encanto, Luca, like it's going against like you know, mm-hmm. big Disney blockbuster yeah. <laughs> movies. Um, That's a tough category. It's a really, really tough category. But you want to talk about, like, sh- shedding light to, like, a story that really just needs t- needs the light, needs the attention, needs all the love in the world that it deserves. At the moment, Luca, like, Joey called it Call Me By Your Name. Animated Call Me By Your Name. I love that. You know, they're, sure, they're talking about, like, these queer boys. Queer-coded. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then there was Ra- Rhea, like, great character. I love the movie, too. I- I- I'm not hating on any of these. Mm-hmm. But stop making the bar, Disney or Pixar, yeah. doing something tiny tiniest littlest amount outside of its usual box Mm -hmm. the most groundbreaking thing that's what the oscars does and that's what fumes me and look at something like flea which is like feels like it's out of the box because you're comparing it to something like disney or pixar same thing but you know i will say that Um, In addition to animated feature, Flea is also nominated for um, documentary feature and international feature. Hopefully is introducing it to a lot of people who will now go seek it out because it's in these three very different categories Mm -hmm. and, and nominated as the film, the work in its entirety. Yeah. Can I say just for the record, I'm not saying all this to disregard all the creators behind movies like Encanto or Rhea Mm, or Luca or, you know, like there's so many people involved in these films and there are people there that needs to be lifted and highlighted for sure. But like it would be great to see them lift the platform or raise the platform of movies that maybe aren't getting the same kind of attention or aren't funded the way that Disney movies are, aren't marketed the way Disney movies are. Yeah. And would not otherwise reach an audience like this yeah all right so we should probably wrap it up for today um thank you for dishing all the dirt on your least favorite movies of last year that was really (laughs) entertaining for me make sure you find us online we want to hear what did you love and what did you hate from 2021 um if you have some opinions that we shared that you disagree i would love to know i feel like we said a couple of controversial things today 100 percent. so please tell us if we're wrong yeah you can let us know on instagram at popcorn martini soup on twitter at pop martini soup or send us an email or a voice note um our email is popcorn martini soup at gmail.com awesome um so next time we are going to talk about our all-time top four favorite movies this is going to reveal a lot about us i think yeah that's what i was gonna say we're really just opening ourselves up like from the beginning yeah yeah you're getting a lot of us (laughs) right out the gate yeah um we i think we kind of alluded to the kind of movies that i'm really into that you're really into in this Mm -hmm. episode um but we're really gonna dig deeper into that and talk about our all-time favorite movies um top four so i'm very excited to talk about that next time it's gonna be fun yeah i think that's it for today thanks for tuning in thank you bye bye